Welcome to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Tina Muir. Hello, I'm your host, Tina Muir. I would like to welcome you to the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. I'm so happy that you decided to tune in today, and I would like to thank you for spending your time with us. We really appreciate the time you've taken to listen to this podcast. Today we're going to talk to the author of Older, Faster, Stronger, What Women Runners Can Teach Us About Living Younger, Longer. A few weeks ago we talked to world record holder Kathy Martin and today we're going to take that one step further. After today it really reinforced my belief that you can begin running at any age. I could not believe what I was hearing. 70, 80, even 90 year old friends of our guests today. They not only still run, but they're breaking world records and just keep changing the rules when it comes to masters running. These women will inspire you, and we will talk to our guest, Margaret Webb, about her super fit year at age 50, how she dedicated her life to her training, and put her body in better shape in her 50s than she did in her 30s. So to hear a little bit more about Margaret, as I mentioned, she is an author, she's also a journalist, screenwriter, and teacher. Quite an impressive resume in her 25-year writing career. Her book, Older, Faster, Stronger, What Women Runners Can Teach Us About Living Younger, Longer, covers Margaret's journey from North America to run with the pioneers of the running boom, to Africa to run with elite marathoners, and then on to Europe to race the fittest masters in the world in the Masters World Championships. She talks about the experts she worked with, the leading researchers, and the aging labs, and her book is available uh, in independent bookstores on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. She also has had articles featured in magazines such as Sports Illustrated Women. And she co-wrote the feature film Margarita, which has been in 100 film festivals all around the world, won nine awards, including Audience's Favourite for Best Feature. And it's currently available on Netflix, so you can tune in and watch that when you get a chance. Today we're going to talk about how approaching 50 was a turning point for Margaret, how she decided to kickstart her health through running, and she saw not only an improvement in her health, but her whole outlook on life. We're going to learn about what the mentors and friends she surrounds herself with, one of which is a 3.57 marathoner at, 80, at age 75, what she taught her about running strong, along with all the other mentors, how running has grown into a team sport in recent years, in Margaret's opinion, and why. The importance of eating sustainable foods as a runner and how her diet has changed as she has aged. What a typical week of training looks like, especially in her super fit year. Why Margaret recommends doing speed workouts, especially as you get older, to provoke, to provoke the release of growth hormone. And how to gradually build up your running and the importance of listening to your body at any age. All links today will, that we discuss in the podcast will be available at runnersconnect.net forward slash rc45 and as with last week or any other future episode if you would like to submit a question you can check out runnersconnect.net forward slash podcast so i'm sure you're sick of hearing from me let's meet margaret welcome margaret thank you for joining us on the run to the top podcast hi thanks for having me on the show we're happy to have you so can you start by giving us a little bit about your history as a runner we know you uh 
had a traditional, uh, not a traditional start uh, in that you were still a smoker at age 49 and uh, only began your running journey a, a, a year after that. So could you go into that a little bit more? Well, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit, tiny bit more complicated uh, in the sense that I've been a very slow plotter, recreational runner, probably since my late 20s. Um, but I would alternate between sort of walking and running and sort of speed walking and running, but just at a very slow plodding pace because I was always afraid of hurting myself. I've got incredibly flat feet, not to mention some of my appalling lifestyle habits that I had way back when. Um, and then at 42, uh, my sister challenged me to run a half marathon. And my sister is 13 years older than I am, so it's not like I could say, oh, gee, sis, I, I can't do that. <laughs> Uh, so I actually started uh, to train for half marathon at that point, and that kind of whet my appetite. But then I kind of drifted. Uh, I, I kept recreational running, but I, I drifted away from really serious training and competing. Um, I was, um, you know, caught up in researching and writing a food book that took me across uh, Canada about three times, and <clears throat> I reacquired some of my bad habits. Um, but um, when I was 48 and sort of staring down 50, uh, the notion of turning 50 really, really terrified me. And I was kind of really caught up in a bit of a midlife depression. Uh, I've sort of battled uh, depression a little bit on and off my entire life. And, uh, and it really came back with a vengeance um, at 48. And I thought, well, you know, training for a half sort of helped me alleviate that. And so what would happen if I really stepped up my training and got back into it big time? And so that's when I sort of set my goal to run a marathon. And, um, and then, so, and, I, and, I, and I did, I did a couple. And so for the purpose of this book, which, which traces my running journey a little bit, but it really focuses on uh, age 50 when I said, okay, I'm going to get super fit at age 50. I'm going to run the fastest marathon in my life. I'm going to qualify for Boston in the fast, in the, uh, you know, uh, the best age group, or sorry, this, I guess the toughest age group, 18 to 34. And I, I surrounded myself with this whole team of experts to see if I could get fitter after 50 than I was as a 20-year-old varsity athlete. And so that was sort of the project of my book, although, you know, I, I recount a little bit of my running journey to get there. Wow, that's interesting. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be interested to hear that and see that you have not just, it wasn't that you started running and it was, you know, all the way up from there, but you've gone through some ups and downs along the way. And I think a lot of people will relate to that because, you know, motivations go up and down and things happen in your life where you may come away from running and it's not a focus at that time, but it doesn't mean you can't go back to it. So yeah, no, absolutely. Great to hear. So you talked about um, memory loss uh, in your book about how towards that age you were starting to suffer a little bit from that. Um, how did that change after you started running and really committing to your training? Well, it, it, it scared me. I mean, turning 50 uh, had a particularly personal... I mean, I, I think most people are, mm -hmm. are very freaked at turning 50. I mean, that's a major marker in your life. And for women, uh, of course, you go through a lot of biological changes that can a little unhinge you a little bit. Um, but for me personally, it was challenging because my father, um, at age 50, uh, started suffering from dementia. And I knew that it wasn't, um, I was pretty certain it wasn't a genetic uh, thing, and it was related more to him uh, dealing with uh, chemicals on the farm. I grew up on a farm. My dad was a farmer. And I was pretty certain it was related to that. Um, but at the same time, when I started, you know, I, I think a lot of women, when they sort of go through menopause, Premenopause, you start, you know, nouns start disappearing from your senses. <laughs> and, uh, and so it really made me nervous. 
And I thought, you know, I'm a writer. I want to continue to write for the next 30 years. I feel, I feel like I'm just hitting my stride at 50 in my career. And so I, I wanted to just reinvigorate, um, kickstart my health. And I thought that uh, running would get me there. Uh, and in fact, it did. Like, it, um, it certainly um, sharpened uh, everything, you know, my mood, uh, my, uh, you know, my, my memory, uh, uh, just my overall well-being. Uh, I think the biggest difference, apart from getting, um, you know, incredibly fit, and certainly a lot fitter than I was, um, was just just the um, the change in my overall mood and my sense of optimism and my sense of can-do attitude that I can that I can take on whatever project I want to um, tackle. And um, running has taught me how to be successful at that. Wow, and I can definitely see how that would be the case. Um- so you talked about uh, you were raised on a farm just mm-hmm. north of Toronto. Would you say that that made you tough being raised in that kind of environment? Like, you know, hard work was ingrained in your mind that gave you that kind of uh, starting um, morals and beliefs and the way you work You work hard to get what you want in life. Would you say that made a part, had, was a part of that? You know, it, it, it's, it's sort of a bit amusing, um, my childhood. Uh, I loved loved and appreciated growing up on a farm. Um, but my dad and my mom always thought running was kind of silly. Mm-hmm. Um, they were very um, supportive of us playing all sorts of sports. I grew up playing, you know, ice hockey on the pond with my brothers. And I grew up, uh, I played softball and played football and soccer with them, just pick up stuff around the farm. So I was always really active. I had two horses I rode. And so I lived a, a pretty vigorous outdoor life. But I remember um, trying to uh, go out for the cross-country team when I was in grade 8 or something, you know, thinking I could run. And I had flat feet, so that was always a bit of a challenge in my life, major challenge when it came to running, especially in the pre-arch support days, mm-hmm. pre-arch. Mm-hmm. But, but my mom and dad would kind of just, they thought running was silly. Um, and I think a lot of, you know, why would you run when you can work? <laughs> so um, it was an odd, and I, and I still find there's that attitude in sort of farming communities. I, I remember on my cross-country tour of Canada, and I would, you know, go live with a farmer for a week to work on the farm and under, try to trace where our food comes from. And they would say the same thing when I'd get up and go for a run in the morning. It's like, what are you doing? That's, yeah. that's ridiculous. Save your energy for real work. Um, so, so that's kind of the amusement. The other thing, I guess, quirk of my childhood is that... Um, you know, my mom developed um, polio when she was a young woman. And so she walked with a cane her whole life. And, but, but she was also incredibly physically, she set an example for me that it's important to keep fit um, because she would ride an exercise bike. She would swim uh, in, we had this huge pond in our farm. In the winter, she would swim at the Y um, in order to keep her upper body physically strong because she knew that one day her legs would give out completely. And, and in fact, they have. Um, but, you know, at age 89, because of her upper body physicality and the workout that she did her whole life, you know, she's still able to live independently um, in, in a retirement home, but in her own apartment. Could never have done that. She's much fitter than, than most people her age uh, and in remarkably good health. Yeah, it just goes to show you that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be running, but as long as you're doing some form of exercise some way of keeping in shape that it really does have so many benefits both physically and mentally and emotionally as well so well that's what I wanted to kind of make the point in my book although I wrote a running book Mm -hmm. I really wanted it to be accessible for everybody that 
you know, whenever I say running, you could project your own physical activity onto it. If you like to walk, <clears throat> you like to swim, whatever it may be, um, that uh, the, the training techniques are relatively uh, similar. Uh, it, you know, in the sense of, you know, doing tempo or long, slow endurance stuff or sprint stuff. I mean, it's very, the training techniques and approaches are somewhat similar. And uh, I wanted people to just understand the benefits um, of being able to stall your biological clock and, in fact, turn it back from fitness, from exercise. Yeah, no, it's great to see that, you know, it's, it's never too late to jump in. And uh, uh, I was going to go ask you about your um your screenwriting but I might save that and come back to that in a minute because um, sure. it seems kind of right to go on to your group of mentors and friends that you've talked about uh, BJ, Gwen and Olga so could you tell our listeners a little bit about those as they're very inspiring people for, for me and for you especially knowing them so I'd love Absolutely. to hear more. It, it was such a thrill I mean I, I surrounded myself with a, a group of sort of ec training experts who could help me with uh, my training program but then I also went on these incredible adventure runs with um, elite pioneers of the women's running movement. You know, people who are still running strong and long uh, into their 70s, 80s, 90s. So, um, you know, some of the women I met, uh, Krista Bourguignon, who is now 77, she's the fastest 75 plus sprinter in the world. Mm -hmm. And she only took up running at age 72. And she said, I think she set 13 world records uh, the year she was 70, 75, 76. Wow. And she was named World Masters, like, Athlete of the Year for the entire world uh, that year. Uh, BJ McHugh, uh, I call her my running soul mother, mm -hmm. is uh, has such an amazing story. I met BJ at uh, the Montreal Masters study in Montreal. And that study looks at... Um, in order to qualify for this study, and it's extremely difficult, you have to be 75 plus, and you have to have set a world record. <laughs> so, pretty pretty tough. Yeah, to selective. <laughs> so I, I I met BJ by telephone. I called her up. She said she was going to Montreal, which is not that far from Toronto. So I jumped on a train, went to meet her, hung out for the weekend. So when I spotted BJ for the first time across the room, now BJ, uh, when I met her, was 85. She was the world's fastest 85 year old marathoner, um, and I looked at her and I was feeling at that point I was a week away from running the fastest marathon of my life. Uh, I just turned uh, 50. I was feeling fantastic. And I looked at BJ. I think I just turned 51 actually. And uh, I looked at BJ and I thought, oh my God, she looks so much like me. Like we're the same height, same physicality. You know, we, we're both Scots. So we sort of have a bit of that, you know, Scots background look. And I thought she could be my mother. And I thought... My God, she's so fit. She could be me at age 85 if I could only hang on to this fitness. And yet the shock of the test, because I got to undergo some of the tests with her, the shock of it was that she in many ways was fitter than me at 85. Wow. She, had, she had a higher VO2. Uh, she had less body fat. And this was the big shocker because, you know, of course, you know, you lose muscle mass as you age. But because of the fitness routine, a regime that BJ was following, she actually had more muscle mass than I did. <laughs> Six more pounds. <laughs> wow. We're the same height and same height, same weight. You know, I was I was like I think I was about five pounds heavier and my five pounds were all fat and she, <laughs> and hers were, she was all muscle. So it was incredible. You know, it was so inspiring to meet somebody like her and Gwen McFarlane. Uh, she she 
didn't start running until age, and BJ didn't start running until she was 50, right? Mm -hmm. So never too late. BJ, uh, or sorry, Gwen McFarlane is the world's fastest 80-plus-year-old marathoner. At age 80, she ran, no, at age 75, she ran a marathon that was, I think it was 357, which is faster than the average finishing time of 20 to 40-year-old men in the New York City Marathon. So she's fast. Yeah. 75-year-old woman can kick the butt of a 20-year-old guy. (laughs) She didn't take up running until 60 after she was diagnosed with breast cancer. So I, uh, when I went out, I, I was so inspired by these women, I flew out to Vancouver where there was about five or six world record holders um, who all hang out, and I invited them over to lunch uh, at my friend's house, and we, I just got them in the room talking about what, you know, what it is they do to, to stay so strong and, and mostly to stay motivated, you know, because it's one thing to, uh, you know, it's always a challenge for everybody to, at 50 to go, ah, training for a marathon, but try doing it age 80, uh, age 85. So, uh, yeah, those women just blew, blew me away, and, uh, and I wanted to share their stories. No, I'm not surprised. And, uh, yeah, Gwen in particular, that's, that's incredible, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there, she, she's probably beaten their time, and it gives them something to strive for, but just goes to show you, you know, inspiration can come at any age, and a, a lot of the, those women, as you mentioned, only started in their 60s and 70s, so it's, it's never too late to begin, and I imagine they keep pushing you to achieve your limits as you are and how you can continue improving even even as you grow into, you know, your 70s, your 80s, even your 90s as with uh, Olga, which is well, incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think one of the things that was playing in my mind as I was going through the super fit year, I kept thinking, okay, well, how, mo- how long am I going to keep doing this? Mm-hmm. You know, how, mo- how long am I going to keep running marathons? You know, another five years, ten years. How long am I going to keep running distance? And then when I saw BJ, it was like, well, the answer is never stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, yeah. there's no need to have an end goal. Exactly, exactly. So, how important would you say it is for you or for everyone to have those running friends, those people that you can com- confide in and encourage when you are struggling? And how important would you say they are to your running yourself? Well, um, I knew when I started to run. Um, when I way back when I set my goal to run my first half marathon and the same thing held true when I set a goal to run a marathon I knew I could not do it alone I simply could not put all those miles in uh, by myself I knew I needed to join a running club and I was afraid of joining a running club because I never thought I'd be fast enough and you know I, I have now run and qualified for Boston twice so I'm not I'm not I discovered that I actually have a little bit of you know, ability or speed, I guess. I never, I never imagined I would have that. But I met a group of women um, at my running club, men and women. Uh, whatever pace you run at, that's who your new best friend is. <laughs> and so when I was training for my first marathon, you know, I had, uh, you know, a group. And then with my second marathon, I, I met this woman in my club who had a bit faster pace. She'd already qualified for Boston. She was the same age and height as me. And I thought, okay, she can do it, I can do it. So I stuck to her like glue, and we, came, we became, you know, best friends. Um, and those, those are the women that I turn to. We email each other almost every day uh, to give each other support, to check in, um, you know, just to tease each other. <laughs> and they have become so important in my life. And we, we, we travel to races together. We're all going to Boston this spring. Some of them are running the marathon. I'm actually going to do the 5K. 
Um, but we'll go there to support each other. And uh, we, we traveled to the World Masters in Italy together. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we don't socialize a lot outside of running because we spend so much time running together. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, hugely, hugely important um, to me. Like I as say in my book, it's just as easy to socialize over a long run as it is over martinis and it's a lot healthier. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think it's good for accountability, like you mentioned, about checking in with one another if you are just starting out with running and you have someone who you know is also going through the same thing or they're starting up with their training program themselves if you uh, check in with each other each day then it it holds you more accountable so you you are more likely to keep it up absolutely and and it makes it fun Mm -hmm. like um i i I think that a lot of people perceive if they're not runners they perceive it as this lonely you know the, the 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 um you know the long distance runner loneliness of the long distance runner and for me, we, we have transformed, I think women in particular, have transformed this sport of distance running into an incredibly social sport. Um, we do tend to run in packs. Um, we, we, we race together. We support each other. Um, it's, it's, for me, it's just, it, it's like a team sport now. And yes, we have our individual goals and, and we're, we have to be sort of self-motivated, but um, but it but it just is so much fun to go out and run with this group of people and yak away and share <laughs> what's going on in our lives and you know push each other like we we train together we do tempo runs together and hill runs together and we push each other up the hill and tease each other if somebody's falling behind and sympathize if somebody's having a hard run or you know dealing with a nagging injury uh, it's just it's like the sisterhood it's 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 an incredible amount of fun yeah definitely I definitely agree so let's uh, change topics a little bit for a while um, in 1999 you won uh, the Walt Disney Studio Screenwriting Award um, and that led you to go on a one-year apprenticeship at their studios in uh, California how would you say that compared to the rest of your life growing up and then um, how did you find that for your running did did that take a big impact or did, were you able to fit it in I mean I'm guessing you worked quite long hours working there well I you know I I got to write at home uh, so I worked out of um you know an apartment that I had that was on the edge of sort of the base of the Hollywood Hills mm-hmm. and uh, actually at the base of Runyon Canyon which was an incredible um you know hiking running mecca uh in Los Angeles a lot of people show up to Runyon Canyon and they and they either hike to the top of it or they 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 hike up and jog down, or you know if they're strong enough, they jog up and down. But it's it's quite steep and it's quite a vigorous. It takes you about an hour to hike up and hike down. When you get to the top of it, you have this amazing view of Hollywood, uh, Los Angeles. You can see all the way to the ocean, and you can see the Hollywood sign, and and you're 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 above you know helicopters hovering, you know, mm-hmm. watching traffic. So it's it's very cool to be up there and. And one of the highlights uh, of of me, I used to hike it almost every day. Um, I I really wasn't into running it, although sometimes I would run down. And uh, I would encounter uh, Ellen, <laughs> who was actually between TV shows at that point, and she would be out there running with a personal trainer. Wow. And uh, I was too shy as a Canadian, you know. I mean, I mean Canadians kind of known for... Um, when you see somebody famous, you kind of go, "Oh, I can't, I can't intrude upon your space. I'm going to protect your privacy, I'm, or respect your privacy." So we don't. But I, I, I kick myself to the day that I didn't, like, I didn't wave to her and go, "Ellen, you're awesome." Um, so if Ellen ever, you know, hears this or something by crazy chance, Ellen, you're awesome. <laughs> so that was fun. 
Um, the whole experience of working with Disney was, you know, it was awesome. It was incredible to to um, to go to the studio, to drive to the studio, and and um, I, I'm not very tall, so it, it was it was kind of funny for me because the front entrance to Disney is the the, the the seven dwarfs, and they each form a pillar, but they're about 15 feet high. So it was just it was just amusing for me to walk through those front doors and and go to meetings with studio executives. And um, and work with some of the top executives at, at Disney. It was it was it was a very invigorating year. Wow! Yeah, I, I can only imagine if very few people get to experience something like that. So that would have been a, an eye-opening experience and something very special to you. So something else that is important to you, uh, you're very passionate about sustainable foods, eating local, and um, your book, which you mentioned earlier, um, "Apples to Oysters," won a National Culinary Award. Um, and, you know, that's another impressive thing to add to your resume. But uh, why do you think it's important for runners to, you know, eat sustainable foods? And, you know, they may think, oh, what does that apply to me? But what can you say about how that will help out? Will that help your running? Or is there anything in particular you would like to talk about? Well, there, there are a couple of elements of that. Um, yeah, for my first book, Apples, uh, Apples to Oysters, I, I basically ate my way across Canada, across the country, which is like, you know, I mean, imagine somebody eating their way across the United States because Canada is as large, if not larger, um, uh, at least geography-wise, not people-wise. But um, I, I strongly believe that runners uh, should uh, be very, very concerned about eating sustainably because we are health nuts, right? We are health nuts. And so if we care about our own personal health, then I think we, uh, uh, it's um, generous of us to care about the health of the environment, the health of animals, the health of um, our food system, the health of the producers who produce our food for us, the farmers. Um, uh, of course, eating organic, grass-fed, uh, sustainably uh, is healthier. Um, you know, grass-fed meats have a healthier balance of omega-3s and 6s, which... Most people, and they're lower in cholesterol, they're lower in fat, much, much better for you um, than eating grain-fed or corn-fed, especially uh, meats. So if we care about what's the fuel that's going into our body, and I think we should as runners because that's, that's what's powering us, why would we put, you know, if you had a Mercedes, uh, you know, or BMW car, you wouldn't put, you know, second-rate fuel into that, you'd put top-grade fuel and I and I feel that about my marathon body. I mean, I'm I'm like a BMW body now, so I've got. Of course, I want to put great fuel into it. Um, and you know, uh, organic vegetables, local vegetables uh, that don't travel a million miles uh, are, you know, going to be more packed full of nutrition. Uh, they're going to be have fewer uh, toxins, chemicals, all that sort of thing in them. Um, it's a cleaner diet. One of the I worked with a nutritionist. Now, when I researched my book, I, I really did make a, a pretty fundamental shift in the way I ate food, but the food I ate, to be local, sustainable, etc. And yet, when I hit menopause, um, which I went through like at fifty, that was my reward for running the Boston Marathon. A week, like right after Boston, I just went through menopause, and I'm like, thank you. What? What is that? <laughs> Anyway, that's it's fine. I don't mind. It was a pretty painless process. Um, but one of the one of the irritating things about it was I gained weight, and I gained about eight pounds. Came came out of the blue, and I w didn't change my eating, didn't change my workout routine, and I thought, what is that about? 
Um, but, you know, one of the things that I did, uh, you know, with the running marathons is I, is I adopted what I consider this kind of marathon diet, you know. All these dietitians are telling you to eat grains, eat whole grains, eat pasta, you know, carb load. Uh, and so I would kind of do that. And, I, and, and it was sort of fine when I was a little bit younger, but when I hit menopause, I was just like, my God, I was, I'm just like, I'm gaining weight like crazy. Um, I'd hit these fatigue cycles through the day where I would, after lunch, I would just about have to fall asleep, have a nap. And I thought, wow, is that what being 50 is? I have to nap on the couch? And so I worked with a nutritionist, and she, the first thing she said is cut the grains, cut the pasta, cut the bread, get your carbs from vegetables and fruit. And so that's what I did. And I feel fantastic. I love that way of eating. Um, my fatigue, I didn't have these fatigue cycles, this crash, these sugar highs and then crashes, because that's what eating bread and pasta does. It gives you uh, a, a, sugar high, a blood sugar high, and then insulin rushes in to sort of pack that sugar away, and then you crash, and then you want more carbs. Um, and by eating a low-carb diet, from fruits and vegetables. I just maintained an even blood sugar throughout the day. Um, so I had great energy throughout the day. And my, I felt better in my runs as well. I felt stronger, felt more energetic. Uh, my speed, everything improved. Um, so, so, you know, not just, you know, local organic, but I think, and, you know, some runners may need, um, you know, the pasta. They may need the whole grain. Um, you know, everybody's different. I don't have a very, you know, my metabolism's not that, you know, revved up. Although cutting all of those grains, etc., did help rev up my metabolism. Interesting. And uh, when you say about cutting grains, does that include, you know, some of the um, more sustainable uh, traditional sources? Or I guess they're not traditional, but the uh, quinoa, couscous. Um, cut it all. Cut it all. So not, you have none of none those? Of, no rice. Um, and I didn't even have, she even, my nutritionist even recommended that I cut beans, like kidney beans and black beans. And because she said that they're, um, they're less of a protein source. People think they eat beans for protein, but they're very high in carbohydrates uh, relative to the protein. And so she said, you know, it's, it's not like you can't eat those. I mean, it's not, you know, but she said, if you want to really watch the calories that you take in uh, and get all of the nutrition that you need, cut the cut the beans and so um so i did do that so that's interesting for our listeners to know that if you are struggling with weight issues and you know you are a runner but you're finding that weight is just coming on a little too easy then maybe that is something you should consider giving a try but obviously talk to a nutritionist first make sure it is going to work for you and they can monitor you but it's interesting to think about um yeah and then what other ways would you recommend runners could try and uh, reduce their environmental impact uh, footprint? So, you know, gen genuine, generally, sorry, um, runners are pretty good because, you know, we, we don't need tons of equipment. You can go outside and do it. You, you don't have to drive to, well, for the most part, you don't have to drive somewhere to do it. And yeah. are there any other ways you would recommend? Uh, you know, I... I don't know. I, I use my body as transportation mm -hmm. uh, around the city. So I like to run to my doctor's appointment. So I might, I might take uh, public transit to get to the doctor and then run home. Um, I, I walk. I, I teach uh, part-time at Ryerson University. I'm a, I'm a university instructor. And uh, I usually 
Well, I have a hard time walking now because my, 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 my normal gait is kind of a run. So I do a slow jog, actually. And I can run three kilometers at a slow jog and not break a sweat. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, you know, I mean, it, to each their own. But I just, I love to move my body. And so I pr- pretty much get around the city by, by walking and cycling. And, I, and I don't, I'm not in the car very much. Um, you know, it's the grocery getter, really. <laughs> that's good <laughs> good to know and uh it's good you use your body and uh, you know rather than driving that mile down the road why not just use it as a little run it's not going to take too much longer than driving in the car um i will add one and, thing in, oh. sorry sorry about environmental impact mm-hmm. i'm sorry to interrupt no, um fine. yeah on the food front before we move on from the food is that i think very few runners would know this but a key reason to eat local grass-fed or organic or naturally raised as long as that naturally raised has some uh, real meaning to the label because it's not a certified label is that uh, those animals primarily are not injected with uh, antibiotics Mm -hmm. and more than 50% of the antibiotics in the world are used on animals and it's not it's not because the animals are getting sick. It's to keep the it's it's to promote the growth of the animals so that they fatten up faster. And so it's it's for production. And yet we have all of these antibiotic resistant bacteria that are killing thousands of people in hospitals every year. And there's a direct relationship between that. And and the World Health Organization has said we need to cut out using antibiotics in the growth of livestock. And I think, you know, as runners, I mean, we, again, to be on the, on the cutting edge of health and the forefront of health, that should be, in, in my mind, that should be the number one reason why um, you, you switch to eating meats that aren't, aren't just uh, needlessly injected with, uh, with antibiotics. Oh, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I actually um, have made that switch in the last year, uh, only having grass-fed and free-range chicken and... Uh, it just, yeah, it better. doesn't it taste better? Yeah, it it does, and um, it's incredible when you pull up, uh, look at a chicken, the size of a chicken breast that is um, free range compared to the size of a chicken breast, just a regular one, and it's double the size. But yeah. most, like you say, most of that is the white fat around the edge. But yeah. um, I think another thing you you just made me think of, um, you know, as runners, we like to think we're all community based. We are a close knit community, as you mentioned, very supportive of one another. And, you know, by using, if you have um, access to local farms and um, local businesses that, you know, uh, grow uh, grow their own crops and uh, farm their own animals, those are the kind of people that you want to be supporting and you want to help. And it all kind of brings it all together, the small businesses. And if you're using those rather than the big companies, then there's going to be more demand for that, which helps them to grow and helps us you know move things in the right direction so interesting to think about especially as runners we tend to think of ourselves as community people and we are genuinely good people who want to want to you know make the world a good place well one of the things that i do actually is um i i buy my meat directly from farmers and uh so (laughs) and so when i go up to visit my farmer to pick up you know my quarter quarter of a beef or my 10 chickens or, you know, pork or whatever it is, um, I put the uh, call out to all my runner friends and say, hey, 
do you uh, do you want to order some meat? Do you want me to pick it up for you? So there I am, you know, once or twice a year driving up in my little mini and then coming back with this like mini full of beef and, <laughs> and chicken. If I ever get in an accident, I'll have flying frozen chickens coming out of my, my little mini. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so we kind of work together on that. And there's another runner friend of mine who lives, has a country house and, and she brings back uh, fresh, um, you know, uh, grass-fed lamb. So, so yeah, we kind of work together a little bit on that. And, and runners, you know, that's one thing runners can do. Yeah, right, definitely. I, I could not agree more. So um, let's talk about your training a little bit more. Could you describe a typical week of training for you, what that would involve? Well, when I was in my super fit year uh, and I was training for what I wanted to do through that year was to set personal bests at every race distance. I wanted to get down to uh, a really, really healthy weight that, um, you know, was better than when I was a varsity athlete at University of Toronto. I played ice hockey. Uh, uh, so... So I was really working on getting not just uh, runner fast, but overall fit. You know, I spoke to one um, physiologist uh, at the beginning of the term, and he said, you know, or sorry, the beginning of my year, and he said, you know, your, your goal of getting super fast, or as fast as you can, is not necessarily uh, uh, equal getting overall fit. Because, you know, you can, you can lean yourself right down as a runner, uh, and focus only on running and improve your speed, but doesn't mean you're going to be like have the kind of the muscle mass that you need to be healthy all over. And so I made a decision that well, I want to be healthy all over. So um, so what I did is I, I ran five days a week, and my typical and I worked out two days a week in the gym. I lifted weights, uh, and I lifted weights for both my legs, uh, which I think helped me get faster. And also for my upper body because I didn't want to have I didn't want to end up being a skinny runner with no, you know, really a frail upper body and not being able to you know open a jar of you know whatever. Uh, so I wanted to be overall strong, and I also wanted to improve my flexibility and my balance because of course balance is a big thing that people struggle with with their, when they age, and um, you, you know try to stand on one foot. And if you're struggling a little bit, wow, you've got balance problems. You should be able to do that relatively easily. And uh, so I, um, so this is what a typical week looked like for me. On uh, Sunday, I would do my long run with my club. And so that could be anywhere from 20 kilometers to 35 kilometers, or I guess um, trying to do a mileage translation, uh, you know, like 10, 10 miles to uh, 22 miles. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on um, Monday, I would go to the gym and I would do, I would lift weights and do some yoga and do a lot of core work. So I wanted to be really, really strong in my core for, you know, about an hour and 15 minutes. And then on the way to and from uh, the gym, I would do um, um, plyometrics. So, you know, the hopping, because I live about, you know, not quite a kilometer from the gym, maybe a kilometer, a half a mile. And so it's a really good distance to sort of um, do those hops along the sidewalk. Oh, you mean literally doing them uh, to the gym? Or yeah. Like, yes. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. So people passing me on the sidewalk would kind of laugh and smile so <laughs> along, you know, to and from the gym uh, doing plyometrics. So that was Monday. Uh, Tuesday I, I, I would do a, um, uh, another like six or seven mile, eight mile run with a Tuesday morning running group and we meet at 6 6:30 a.m. 
And I'd, you know, finish that off with maybe a little bit, a few, a couple of hills maybe. And I always finish my runs off with a yo- some yoga. Okay. For stretching flexibility. Wednesday, I would do both a run, so a shorter run, and a gym workout. And that was really tough. Like, I found that my toughest day because I was adding a whole new day to my training, but I was also uh, doing a double that day. And then Thursday, I would work out with my club. So Thursday night would be um, about an hour and a half of uh, speed training, hill training, tempo work, a really, really tough, tough run workout that I could, I struggled to do those kinds of workouts by myself. So it's really great to do it with a group of my running friends. Friday would be my rest day, although I'd do yoga for flexibility and, and, and that sort of thing. Saturday, I would do another run. Um, so it could be six, seven, eight miles, nine miles, ten miles. And also, and I'd follow that up with a trip to the yoga studio. So I'd do one yoga session a week. And then I'm back to my Sunday long run. So that was, my, so that was really intense. That, but that was my super fit year. I don't think any, people need to do, you know, go quite overboard like that um, to, uh, to maintain fitness or to get fit. But, but this was a big project that I was doing to really stall the, stall the clock, turn it back. Uh, and uh, so now this year I'm not, I'm not on that kind of like quite such a frenetic training routine. I'm running four days a week now, but I'm still going to the gym twice. And I try to fit in yoga once a week in there somewhere. That's good. And so you you really saw the importance of doing those supplemental uh, activities. Like we, we talk about that a lot, um, how important it is. You can't just run, especially as you get older. You can't just go out the door and run. You have to do those. Um, you know, you talked about the plyometrics, but also the strength and conditioning, not only in your legs, but in your arms as well to um, assist with your running. So it's good to hear that you see that as important as well. I found that um, for, for me, I don't, I don't have the world's best running gait because of my flat feet. And so if I only run and don't do the cross training, if I don't do the yoga, if I don't do the weight training, I very quickly get injured. And I discovered that in my running career. In order to support the distance of a marathon, I, I know I need to do the yoga and I, I need to do the weight training to keep my muscles balanced and uh, strong. And and, I, and it also improved my running economy. Like I talk about this in my book where I was doing kind of speed trials to sort of see where my heart rate was at and then how fast I could do, you know, a kilometer or whatever. And then I tested that later on after I did a couple of months of, of weight work. And I could run, you know, at the same speed, say, but my heart rate was much, much lower because of, I, I believe, well, both, both the marathon training, but also uh, when you think if you have stronger legs from lifting weights, you can spring and propel yourself forward much easier with what much, much less oxygen intake. Interesting. Um, and uh, that is pretty much all I have, but we'll, we will we'll actually go back to that topic just in a moment from uh, some questions we have from our listeners. Um, but I just wanted to mention before I transition over to that, that's all I had. Um, but people can purchase your book, Older, Faster, Stronger, What Women Runners Can Teach Us About Living Younger, Longer. And, um, you know, we, we talked earlier about um, you would prefer people to purchase this from independent bookstores. So if you can get out there and buy it from a local store, that, that always is preferable. But um, I will put a link up to... 
purchase the book online in the notes for the day. So you can find that on runnersconnect.net forward slash RC45. Um, and so, yep, as I mentioned, that's, that's all my questions for the day, but we have a few from our listeners. So um, along the lines of what we were just talking about, uh, Deborah Hexel would like to know uh, what can older runners do to increase that mileage beyond what they may have done in the past without without risking injury? I think a lot of that is what you talked about, the, the yoga, the plyometrics, the strength training. Is there anything else you would add? Yeah, well, you in order to up your distance, um, don't uh, don't be in any big rush. Go, you know, you know the whole the the rule of thumb, you know, five percent increase a week. Um, definitely not more than a ten percent increase in mileage a week. Uh, I think for older runners, um, the weight training is really critical, and the yoga is really critical um, to keep muscles balanced and limber and flexible, um, and. You know, listening to your body, that was what a, a lot of the older runners told me, is they said, listen to your body. I, I, I spoke to Krista Del, Del, okay, Delgado, who's the world's fastest 60-year-old sprinter, and uh, Carla, Carla Delgado, I'm sorry. And she was working out, she was sprinting one day, lifting weights the next day, sprinting the next day, lifting weights, sprinting, so she'd do three runs a week and then the weight training and she said you know what I found as I got older it was better for me to do my run and my weight day together and take a rest day so she has sort of incorporated a little bit more rest recovery time active recovery by walking or that sort of thing so I think that if you're feeling trashed if you're feeling not well this is a hard or I'm just feeling a little bit too exhausted don't be afraid to take a recovery day you know, and just back off the activity and just do a walk, do some yoga, you limber up. You know, it's not, the goal, these women, it was to be at it for the rest of your life. And so almost their entire strategy was around not injuring themselves. Because as soon as you get injured, then you're, you've got downtime, you can't run. And, uh, and then it's much harder to come back and build your fitness up again. And I, and I think that's kind of become a mantra for me, too. If I feel anything niggling, nagging, it's like back right off. Back right off. And fix that. Um, don't, don't turn it into some, like, strain that's going to bother you or, or put you right out of running. Mm-hmm. No, that's great advice. And that's not just for people who are um, older runners, but that's for everyone, really. We need to learn to listen to your body. And I guess that's one thing if you do start running a bit later in life you're not going to learn that lesson uh, as a young adult you, st- you still have to learn that lesson to listen to your body so um, a question from uh, Christopher Jones who um, has already run a r- very fast time um, a 332 in the marathon is it do you think do you think it's realistic to um, expect to be able to increase performance after 60 uh, and he wanted to know if if you are running at a higher level during your earlier years, do you think it's realistic? When should you start accepting that you know maybe your times aren't going to keep going forward? And how do you get around that? Well, I'm not uh, you know I'm not a, 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 a an expert uh, sports physiologist, mm-hmm. so I would say you know there's this ten year rule of thumb that pretty much whatever age you start at you can increase your speed for about 10 years. 
And so for me, starting at age 42 or, you know, when did I really start seriously training? You know, was it 48? You know, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, do I have a 10-year window of improvement? Um, so I, I don't know what his uh, running history is. is. Sorry, who was it again? Um, it's just one of our athletes on Runners Connect. It was just a, yeah. just a general question. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, you know, apply that 10-year window. So um, uh, can can you get faster after 60? Absolutely. A friend of mine in my club uh, who started distance running in her 50s um, has had her personal best times in her 60s. That's great. You know, so she d was definitely able to get faster. Um, but how long that will continue? Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that one of the things that we're discovering with older athletes is that our if we continue the training, like if we continue putting in the mileage, but not just the mileage, but the intensity, like those tempo runs, the interval training, um, that our that our speed will fall off far less um, than than we expected. So people shouldn't be afraid of doing the faster running and the tempos and the hills and the sprints, even if you are, you know, getting older. You you don't need to be afraid of those for injury reasons. I mean, no more than anyone else, really. Well, uh, in fact, I would advocate it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was speaking to one researcher in my book uh, who specializes in uh, human growth hormone, like natural growth hormone that is secreted in your body, and it's provoked by fast, like, like tempo running and sprinting. And he advocates that we should be, when it comes to older athletes or when it comes to exercise for, for seniors, that he advocates that we should be focused on exercise that provokes the release of growth hormone because growth hormone repairs your muscles, it repairs every cell in your body. And so if we just do the long, slow runs, yes, we're going to secrete growth hormone to repair muscles, etc. But it's the it's like putting the hammer down every once in a while that uh, that will provoke a release of ho growth hormone for up to four hours after, like say, an interval run. Um, so, but the, but but just the, the the caution is that you don't just throw yourself into it, right? Mm -hmm. You ease into it. Yeah. You ease into everything. Don't get injured. Um, I, I when I was uh, going through my year, I spent some training sessions on the track with sprinters, you know, trying to understand how to become a faster runner and improve my gait. And I knew that I could only sprint at about ninety percent of my capability because my muscles just weren't attuned to sprinting. And so I could, you know, and I was really watching it. It's like the last thing I wanted to do was sprint full out and get injured. Um, so you just have to really watch your body, be careful, and, and slowly build up to it. That's good advice. Um, and, yeah, can it be applicable to all ages, not, not just, uh, you know, seniors, but um, any age. Um, and that's about all I have for today. Um, people, uh, if they want to learn more about you, it would be best to go to their, uh, your website. Um, yes. which I will put a link to in our uh, show notes. And then also, again, purchasing your book um, if they are interested through an independent bookstore and online as a second choice. Um, so thank you for coming on the show, Margaret, and uh, we look forward to following, following you in the future. Uh, thanks very much, and thanks, everybody, for listening. So there you have it. That was our interview with Margaret Webb. I know I learned a lot, and I'm sure you did too. You can find all the links we talked about today on runnersconnect.net forward slash RC45. If you like the podcast today, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a review on iTunes. 
It just takes a few moments. All you need to do is go to runnersconnect.net forward slash review. That will take you to the page where you can easily leave a review and it would really mean a lot to us. We really want to make this the best it can be and your reviews will only help us and help us rise in those rankings which are always important. So thank you in advance and until next time, have a good week.